there's breath in your body, there is hope. Welcome to another Think Hope podcast. I'm your host and hopeologist, Dr. Rosalind Tompkins, and I'm here to facilitate your journey of hope. And we have with us today, we're going to bring in for a hope chat, none other than Elisa Finley, who is the president of the Botham Gene Foundation. And we'll talk a lot more about the Botham Gene Foundation and Botham Gene, who is the, uh, her brother and the inspiration behind the foundation, because they are one of our Hopi awardees that will be receiving a Hopi Award during the April National Month of Hope. And uh, Hopi stands for Helping Others Practice Enduring Empowerment. So we are excited about uh, the countdown. We are counting down now. And April will be here before you know it. And we have so many great things planned. We'll share a little bit about uh, some of the events and, and about our sponsors and also about the other Hopi awardees a little later in the show. But now I'm going to go ahead and bring in Elisa. So in just a moment, I'll be able to bring her in. Hello, Elisa? Hello, good evening. Good evening. How are you? I am good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. I tell you, hope is definitely needed. I was, I was just kind of listening to the news a little bit before uh, starting, you know, before we came on the show. And uh, boy, with the coronavirus and the political, you know, landscape and, and just tornadoes, there's so much going on in this world. And uh, it, it could be very, it could be very easy to become hopeless. And that's why I'm so excited about uh, the National Month of Hope and what we're able to do, and also excited about what you are doing. And uh, and and the first of all, I'd just like to say a big um, condolences to you and your family. Um, I know this is not a, a platform you would have chosen, and somehow you know God knows He He has His way and His will, but uh, I just want to, on behalf of Mothers in Crisis, just just extend our deepest sympathy and condolences for your loss of such a wonderful young man, uh, Botham Jean. As I've been reading about his life and looking at some of the things that you have out there, it's, it's just, you know, such a beautiful soul. So we extend our sympathy and our condolences to you and your family. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. And we also um, extend our congratulations for how you are coping and what you're doing now, how you're able to, to take this tragedy and, and turn it into a place of hope as you are continuing the work that your brother started. And uh, we're, we're very excited about that. That's one of the reasons why we are going to honor you with the Hopi Award. And um, so just just know that it's, it's not in vain that, that you're taking it. 
I know that he is, he is very pleased with, as he is looking from heaven at, at what's happening here. Um, before we get into the conversation, what I'd like to do, on your website you have a PSA that was produced by the NFL, and um, I know, you know we can't see it here, but I want to encourage everyone to go to BothamGeneFoundation.org and you can actually see it. But I want to share a, just a video clip of it, and I believe it will help to frame our conversation. And then after that, we'll, we'll just begin to share a little bit more about what you guys are doing. So I want to share, this is an actual public service announcement that was created by the NFL on behalf of Botham Jean and uh, the family and the, and the foundation. So I'm going to play that right now. And then we'll come back. Samja is my son. He is an active child. He is the light in any dark room. Botham is my little brother. He is the kindest, sweetest person you could ever know. He is funny. <laughs> if my mom and I have a, a disagreement, we would stop, let's call Botham. Let's see what he says. He just loved people. He was very particular of the company he kept. So I felt that he was not in harm's way. Botham was in his apartment watching football, eating ice cream. And the officer came in and killed him. To know Botham was to love Botham. The world has lost a great man. He was destined for greatness. Botham was everything to us. I just can't do without him being here. I look forward to the day Botham would have gotten married, having kids. Life is not sweet anymore. Yeah, what I hope to see happening is that our black boys are not seen as a threat. The color of my skin can be perceived as a weapon, and it's not. What has happened to Botham should not happen to another family. I started the Botham Show Foundation. We have to continue where Botham started and just keep his legacy going for years and years to come. Why should there be hatred for each other? My young son demonstrated forgiveness. Brent forgives one who just killed his brother. There are things that must be done and must be done quickly. We must change this all around. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am so much in agreement with uh, the change aspect of what I see you guys are doing through the Botham Jeans Foundation. So as, as we were listening to that, Alyssa, what 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 are you what are you thinking? What are you feeling right now? Um, most of the times, I I always think like, you know, is this my life? Even mm-hmm. with the PSA and everything that's going on, it's I always stop and think, you know, is this really my life? Because I at times I really can't believe. That all mm-hmm. this happened, that both of them isn't here anymore. Because I still have moments where I, if something happens, I pick up the phone to call him 
and mm-hmm. I'm hit with, you know, he's not here anymore. So sometimes in disbelief. Yes, I I can I can only imagine I can only imagine, and um, it's just uh, amazing how they the NFL. I don't know how that came about. Uh, if you want to share a little bit how that came about, but that's a powerful PSA. Um, I received an email one day from someone from Rock Nation, mm-hmm. and she asked me to call her, and I did. And she said they they wanted to do a PSA on on both them story, um, and it is through the NFL. Um, so I called my mom and I discussed it with her. Um, and we decided, you know, this would be great because the NFL has, and Rock Nation, they both have mm-hmm. a really large platform that we can use to get both of them to change. My thought process with it was if this PSA can enter the home of a police officer mm-hmm. and change their view of black people, Mm-hmm. then that's the win. If if it affects just one person and have them stop for a moment and think, you know, let me ask this person a question before I pull the trigger, then that's the win. Just to mm-hmm. save one life, it's a win. Absolutely. I'm I'm in agreement with that and I believe that it is. It it is certainly um people sometimes underestimate the power of those type of messages like public service announcements. And that's one of the things that I've seen over the decades with Mothers in Crisis, how uh, that's something that we we did quite frequently uh, several couple of decades ago uh, during the drug, especially crack cocaine uh, epidemic, and um, it really, I'm always shocked at the impact that just that, uh, that television, maybe 30 seconds, and this is what, a couple of minutes, but it really gets into the spirit. And I believe that it is going to make a difference as well as what you're doing now through the foundation. So let's talk a little bit more. First of all, let's talk about both of them. What what would you like to say about your brother? My brother was my best friend. Mm. Even though we grew up, we were nine years apart in age, mm-hmm. we grew so close. I cannot remember a day where I didn't speak to both of them. Wow. We spoke all the time. We spoke on the phone. We spoke via text message. And even after he passed, like I still sometimes before I go to bed, I would read text messages that we had maybe a a year prior to his death Mm -hmm. to the day and see what we were talking about at that time. And I came across um, this chain of messages where all day we were just, we were communicating via emojis. And we were trying to guess, you know, what the person was saying. But we spoke all the time. We were open with each other. We were just, I could say anything to him. He could say anything to me. Up to his last day on earth, we spoke. He called me. And without even looking at the phone, 
I knew it was him because, you know, he had a time where he would call out or I could just sense that he would call. And Mm -hmm. I I just knew it was him. We spoke. He was happy. He laughed. And when we hung up the phone, he got to his apartment and we hung up the phone. He said, said, we're going to go by. We hung up. And as soon as I hung up the phone, I thought, wait, he didn't tell me he loved me because we normally say I love you at the end of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I said, he didn't tell me he loved me. And I was going to call back, and I didn't. I said, don't worry. Next time I speak to him, I'm going to give him hell for that. And <laughs> I never spoke to him again. Wow. What, what a memory. So, so, yeah. so you, you know a lot about his inspiration and his motivation for the things that he was doing at such a, I mean, it, I just applaud the fact that such a young man, a young black man, so involved and so busy making changes and, and doing things to, to help others. And uh, we can talk a little bit more about that, but, but what was, what was his inspiration, Alisa? I think his inspiration was God. Mm. His, we were both born and raised in the church. Mm-hmm. Our, my earliest memories, and I'm sure his, are um, in the church. We would go, we would joke sometimes and say we were every day in the church, like Sunday morning, Sunday evening, <laughs> Tuesday evening, Thursday <laughs> evening, Friday, youth, Saturday youth class, and back on Sunday. And we were raised to fear God and everything we do is, you know, for God and to get closer to God and to bring souls to God. So he, that's what he knew. So everything he Mm -hmm. did, it was, you know, to help people and just to show people just a glimpse of, you know, what Christianity is, what Christ is like, um, Mm -hmm. inspiration, even when he had to decide on what university to attend, he immediately picked Harding University because it's a Christian university and oh yes and every semester they would do a Bible course so it made him study the Bible more Mm -hmm. so all of that his whole life I feel like he built it around serving Christ Mm -hmm. well that is exemplary yeah that is, that is an exemplary life, and it's what we really all should be doing. And, you know, but, it, but we, unfortunately, we don't see that as, as much as what we would like to. And um, so whenever, I, like I said, as I was doing the research and I was reading a little bit more, I was like, wow, this young man, uh, 26 years old, was was very very he's a very good example and and a shining light and that's why i believe that his light is yet shining bright is yet shining bright and will continue to shine bright through through what you're doing and how you've picked up that mantle so let's talk about that about the Botham Jean Foundation and how you're keeping that going what the work and the life that he started and the light and all of that in order to, to, to help others? So I started the foundation, 
after Botham was killed, he was killed in September. And from from the time I got back from St. Lucia burying him, I just started researching how to start a foundation, what I needed to do, because I needed a distraction mm-hmm. from I was not having that daily conversation was just so it was to me, it was like a dark hole. It was so quiet Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. it was our norm to speak every single day. So it, the the absence was just deafening. Mm -hmm. So I started researching the foundation, um, to continue his work because he did so much and he he had he was always concerned about his legacy. Mhm. Wow. So I wanted to keep that going for him. Um so I started I um registered the foundation and started the foundation and just continued what he started like um mission trips to St. Lucia. He organized with Harding University. He got a group of mm-hmm. students together and Every year, they would come to St. Lucia during their spring break and do mission work. They would visit mm. um, the vulnerable communities, the um, senior centers, the um, orphanage. There's a boys' training center for wayward boys, and they would visit all these places and just um, give back to them. Even one time, because just me visiting through the foundation, I was told he got the the students to just clean up for the orphanage. Like there was a room packed with stuff and they needed it cleared Mm -hmm. and they just cleaned up. They put up, put on a puppet show for the kids and um, (laughs) for the boys in the boys training center, they would just go play soccer and they would have um, competitions and just to interact with them. So, and the um, senior center is one time he brought a cake for this lady. It was her birthday and he sang to her. Like he would just go sit with them and, thing and just so all Mm -hmm. these things we wanted to continue for him and more in his name because I believe that even if he was still here he would do so much Mm -hmm. so for me I look at it as the sky's the limit because I want every single person to know his name and the good that he did yes well, I know the special heart that it takes to do missions uh, and to go to other countries because that's something that that I and my husband and uh, a team of us that we partner with uh, Dr. Patricia Bailey Ministries and we've gone to several places around the uh, the world, Turkey, several places in Africa, South Africa, East Africa, West Africa. And, uh, and Haiti and different places. And we always visit the orphanages. We always visit the orphanages, the widows, um, the schools, and, and just, just really going to those ones that are most vulnerable. And it takes a special heart. As you were talking, I could just see your brother uh, there with the kids. And, and they just, they need that. And they, they are so precious. Uh, and to be able to do that as a young man, that's that's a wonderful thing that he set that example. I'm glad to know, and we are excited about your foundation, that you're keeping it going. 
and that it doesn't stop here. And um, and so that's that's the thing that the Hopi Award, why we are uh, awarding you this year with that, because it it caught our attention. I, as a matter of fact, I know you caught the nation's attention, if not the world's, uh, by the way he died, by the way things went down. And, right. and, and then it caught our attention, your response and your family's response and the dignity uh, with which you were able to, to go through the experience in such a public way, in such a public way. So now let's just talk about how he died, because I believe mm-hmm. that it's very important to, to just, you know, just put that out there as well. Because this is something that, as you said, it, it has to change. So in your own words, just tell, just talk to, as though no one ever heard about it. Uh, what happened to both of them? Thursday night, um, like I said, I spoke to him that day. He had, and he was so happy um, when I spoke to him because the week before, or two weeks before, he had um, a wisdom tooth extraction. And he was eating soups for the first week. And so when I spoke with him, he said his dentist gave him the okay to eat ice cream. And he was so excited because <laughs> everyone knows both of them loves ice cream. <laughs> Anything with milk, he's all for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was so excited. He bought a tub of ice cream. And he was going to go home, eat ice cream. And I reminded him that it was the first game of the NFL season. And, again, he was excited because he had the fantasy football league, so he wanted to see the game. But he was going to mm-hmm. continue working on his laptop. So that was his plan. He was going to go home, watch football, eat ice cream, and work. Mm. And so I spoke to him up until he got into the apartment. We hung up the phone. We were going to speak later. And I got a call waking me up in the middle of the night. It was 12.29 a.m., Eastern Standard Time, I guess it was 1129 um, in Dallas. And it was this um, social worker from Baylor University Hospital. And she wanted me, she asked me if I know Botham, Botham Jean. I said, yes, he's my brother. Mm -hmm. Um, And immediately I thought, you know, car accident. And I'm looking mm-hmm. around my room. It's dark, but I'm looking around because I'm thinking, okay, I need to just pack a bag and head to Dallas to go take care of him. And said, um, where does he live? What's his address? And I gave her the address. Um, what's his date of birth? I gave it to her. What's mm-hmm. his, um, where does he work? I told her PWC. And I'm asking, what's going on? And she said, he was brought into the into the emergency room with a gunshot wound. I'm like, I said, gunshot wound? Where? Because mm-hmm. that just paused me. I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. And she said, um, she don't know where it happened. She All she knows is that he was found um, in his apartment building. She doesn't know where. And I'm like, okay, so is he alive? And she said, I'm sorry to have to tell you he succumbed to his injuries. My God. And I was in shock. 
And I just kept repeating, oh, my God, over and over and over. And I said, I don't know what you're saying. And she said he was shot through his heart and he died. Mm. And I just, I couldn't speak anymore. And she said, a police officer is going to call me. And I just, she was going Mm -hmm. on, but nothing registered. Later, um, someone's, I had to tell my mom, I had to tell my entire family um, what happened. We couldn't speak that entire night. Someone reached out to my mom. She mm-hmm. said she she's a complex manager, and she gave her number, so we called her, and she told us that it was a police officer. She a mm. police officer apparently she um, thought it was her apartment, and she shot him by accident, thinking it was he was an intruder, and that's how we found out what happened. I didn't find out from any police officers, no, or the, the detective that was supposed to call. Wow. The building manager told me. So that's what happened to my brother. Wow. I tell you, I'm (laughs) speechless. Let let me ask you, you brought up something about the police department. How would you say they handled this? Um, I think from day one, they tried really hard to sweep it under the rug, mm-hmm. to cover it up, because when the I when I called, I was given the detective's number from a police officer that called, and she said she doesn't know what's going on. She has no answers for me. She gave me his number, and she said he gets in at nine. And I again didn't sleep all night, just looking at the clock, waiting for nine a.m. Mm-hmm called him and he said he cannot tell me anything over the phone because it's a sensitive situation. Sensitive mm. situation. He never told me what happened. The chief call, Renee Hall, chief of police, she called me later on mm-hmm. to extend her condolences and the same thing, she didn't say anything. We flew out to Dallas the fr- that Friday Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, we met with the Texas Ranger, Armstrong, mm-hmm. and we're asking him, what happened? What is she saying? Did you speak to her? Did she give a statement? And all of these questions, he said he cannot answer, but mm. volunteered to tell the grieving family, you know, this was just a horrible accident. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not at fault. She's very remorseful. It's just a horrible accident. You know, basically leave it alone. It's just an accident. Mm-hmm. So all of this. That's they, incredible. They all tried to cover it up. And they really thought both of them would have been just this, you know, any other black person that was killed by a police officer unarmed. And mm-hmm. they just the person's character to mm-hmm. make it to make the decision go into their favor but they couldn't have done that with both of them that's awesome I'm glad because his life spoke for itself yes and 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 it's it's just it's a shame it's insult to injury 
that uh, that they would be more concerned with trying to cover up and protect the image than to really reach out to the family. And I know, you know, legally speaking and, and you know, lawyers and all that kind of stuff that comes up there. But uh, Amber Geiger, I guess that's how they pronounce her name, yes. was the police officer, uh, the Dallas police officer that, that shot and killed both of them. And, um, and then once it did get out there, now everybody was was looking at you guys. All eyes were on you. All eyes were on the on the trial, and and everything that happened after that. Tell me what that felt like for you. For me, I think, in a sense, it helped me because mm. from. Day one, I knew I couldn't overreact. I couldn't lash out. I couldn't yell. Mm -hmm. I couldn't scream because I didn't want anyone to use that or my reaction against both of them. Mm -hmm. So he was my main concern. I couldn't have been there for him then, but I could have certainly just be there for him now. Mm -hmm. So I anything I just thought both of them mm-hmm. like there are mm-hmm. days where and many days where the media would just just sort of like the, when the 911 call was leaked mm-hmm. and they did this whole segment and I remember seeing an ad saying you know this will change your view of what happened that night and I'm thinking what happened that night was my brother was killed. Mm-hmm. So it, it really, it got me angry. But then again, I thought I have to be there for both of them. I have to do this for both of them. Mm-hmm. So I said nothing. I posted nothing. I didn't want anyone to take my words out of context. So I, don't, I was probably radio silent for the entire year because I didn't want anybody to use Anything I said against both of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly it certainly did uh, make it where they couldn't, you know, like you said, focus on something else to deflect from what really happened. And uh, when it comes to what ended up happening to the police officer, Amber Geiger, uh, do you believe justice was served? In a sense, I, I believe it was. Um, he was convicted mm-hmm. of murder, and I prayed for that even before I knew her name. <laughs> mm-hmm. I prayed for that. The first time I prayed for justice for both of them was on the plane from New York to Dallas. Mm. I prayed for justice for both of them, and I never stopped I prayed for that. Praise in God. The I prayed for that when I food. I prayed for that before I went to sleep at night. And all in between, if I say a silent prayer, I prayed for justice for both of them. When I knew mm. her name, I prayed for Amber Geiger to be convicted of murder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we got that. 
And I never for one moment didn't think we wouldn't get that. Because mm-hmm. I knew God would come through. Wow. I, so, so I never I asked hear you. for a sentence. <laughs> I, I asked for what he saw fit. Mm-hmm. Set a number. I just mm-hmm. said, you know, whatever you see fit. And mm-hmm. they came back with the 10 years. I was, I was disappointed in the 10 oh. years. You were disappointed. Um, why is that? I was disappointed because I always had in my mind 15 years. That okay. was my number. I never prayed mm-hmm. for it, but that in, in my mind, that, that was the number. So when the 10 years came, I saw it as very light time. That's what God saw fit. So I just had to accept it. Yes. Wow, that, that was tough. But sometimes, you know, once we pray and we ask God's will and right. uh, and so his grace, it sounds like uh, that grace and mercy uh, of the Lord kicked in there. But I can understand your, you, you know, your disappointment. And and also, you know, the that moment that happened in the courtroom where your your brother is is that Brant? What, what, what is his name? Your younger Brant. brother? Yes. Brant. Yes. When he hugged her and said he forgave her. Yes. I've heard from uh, several people, different people, just different um, ethnicities and, and uh, in the community, uh, and this in conversation that I've had that said that really impacted them in a, in a deep way, uh, tears and uh, chills and, and, and all of that. And then I also know that uh, from what I've seen in the media and different sites that it's also um, caused quite a stir from some that that were angry uh, about that display. How how do you feel about that? I, and I've had to defend Brandt from day one ever since that happened. <laughs> um, but I am my brother's keeper, so I will <laughs> defend him <laughs> to anyone. Um, I, I kind of envy Brent because mm-hmm. he, well, I think what a lot of people don't understand is forgiveness is freeing for mm-hmm the forgiver mm-hmm. and he's 18 well he's 19 now but he was 18 at the time and I always worried about him ever since Botham was killed mm-hmm. because Brent is one that's quiet he stays to himself and he's always in his thoughts and when Brent when Botham was killed Brent went silent and so we we never knew what was going on in his mind. And for him to have, you know, anger and hatred and all of that starting from 18, mm-hmm. then what does that look like for him in the future? So right. 
when he was able, when I, he, you know, was able to forgive her and I lifted it and it, it was freeing for him, which is great uh-huh. because he could go on with his life. Uh-huh. And I envied him because I'm not there yet. Okay. Okay. I'm, I, I don't know if it's because both of them and I were so close. Mm-hmm. And for a while, I was still in denial. Mm-hmm. It, it, I haven't gotten to the point where I can truly say I forgive this person. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll ever get there. Mm-hmm. But that, so that's where I envied him. I would love to be at a point where, you know, I'm free. Right. But every day, as soon as I wake up in the morning, I, the first thought is, you know, my brother is not there. Mm-hmm. I'm, I still have him in my favorites on my phone. I still have him as emergency contact. I still mm-hmm. accidentally call him because I forget. So I'm, I, when I go into my living room, I tell him good morning just to a picture in a frame. I walk through mm-hmm. the door and when I get home, I say, hello, I'm back. It's like I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so a in order for me everybody. To, be able to forgive her, it's like I have to accept that he's gone. So, yeah. I'm stuck. For and, now. Yes. And thank you. Thank you for for being honest and, and just really sharing your heart and where you are. It would, it would be very easy just to say, you know, the, the Christian thing, <laughs> you know, yes, I forgive him, but it, right. but, but to, to really uh, share where you are, then that, that's a good sign because grief, everybody grieves in different ways and it's a process. And, um, you know, the stages and, and all of that, you have to go through it uh, in your way. And, um, and so uh, it's a blessing. And I know, and I know, I, I have no doubt that you will, that you will go through it and you'll get to the place where you need to be. I have no doubt about that because of your strong faith and your relationship uh, with God. Um, and and I do believe that God used your your brother and and, and that he was uh, uh it was a freeing for him and and others that that saw that that just the expression there in the midst of it and I know uh, we could politicize things but that's personal that is so personal and for him to display that and and then I understand that there was uh, that he. Uh, he witnessed to her about Jesus, right? He did what? Witnessed about the Lord. He told her about the Lord. About giving herself to Christ. Yes, yes. Yes, and, you know, being baptized, he told her about Okay, okay. And see, and so that's a a witness. That's a witness there, so... Uh, we're going to take a we're going to take a, a short break. We're going to have a poetry break, and then we're going to come back and continue the conversation and and talk a little bit more about um, about what we're going to be doing. We got some things planned for April National Month of Hope, and 
And I'm so excited that you, Alisa, are going to join us for our April the 18th event. Uh, it's, it's, it's going to be wonderful. So we're going to take a, a little poetry break, and then we're going to come back and continue this hope chat with Alisa Finley. hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 6, verses 19 and 20. Where is hope? Hope is found in the breath that I breathe. In the stars, in the sky, and in the cool of the breeze. Hope is found in a baby's cry, in tears rolling down the eye of one who knows that every good thing flows from the heart of God. Hope is found in the birds that sing, in the grass as it grows, in the smell of a rose, in the dew as it settles upon the ground. Hope can be found in the middle of pain, in the streets of frustration, and in the home of the name that is above every name. Hope is found when you hear the name, think the name, or say the name. It's all the same. Jesus is hope. Time, every time I hear that poem, it always takes me back to that day on the steps of the Genocide Museum in Rwanda whenever we were walking out and the group that uh, was hosting, hosting the trip asked me if I would do a poem. And I said, here? And they said, yes. And I looked up. And on top of the museum, on the roof, there were armed guards that had on the fatigue and the AKAs, and they were standing there. And I just looked up, and I began to share where is hope. And every time I hear it, uh, that comes, that picture and that memory comes back. Because in the midst of everything, in the midst of it all, there is hope. Hope is that expectancy that things are going to get better. And I do believe that with every fiber of my being that things are going to get better. And I'm chatting today, a hope chat with Elisa Finley, who is helping to make this world a better place. I was reading from your website how uh, the Botham Gene Foundation is promoting Christian intervention for social change. And I kept seeing that word change uh, in your, on the uh, copy from the pages of your website. And uh, it, it's just really something that I believe that we can change the world one person at a time, and that's what this HOPE campaign is all about. And that's why we're linking arms with people like Elisa and the Botham Gene Foundation to help change the world. So, Elisa, let's talk about how you are, what are some of the things that you're doing, 
and some of the things that you're planning to bring about change, this uh, social change through the Christian intervention? Okay, let me let me put you back on here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. I know you were talking and I said, wait a minute, let me bring her back in. So go ahead. <laughs> um, one of our, um, re- our events coming up um, is we're doing a water distribution um, for Flint, Michigan. Um, we're planning oh. on do- donating um, about 2,000 cases of water um, to the residents. We're also having our second um, annual health fair in St. Lucia that's coming up during the summer. Um, last mm-hmm. year we did it and it was a huge success because we had children and um, seniors and just everyone come and get checked wow. um, and get educated on um, nutrition and um, chronic illnesses and just basically how to stay healthy and live a healthy life. Um, we're also having our second gala in Texas that's in the planning is um, going to be on the 26th of September. Um, mm-hmm. So that's coming up as well. So we have a few things planned um, just to bring change to um, to the world. We're also um, purchasing a, a second well um, in mm-hmm. Ghana because in that community, where the first well is there's it was the well was built outside of a school. So just to see the mm-hmm. pictures of kids drinking water from a well with Botham's name, that is just to me mm. I don't know, like <laughs> water is life and it just makes me feel like Botham is there. So mm-hmm. we'll be doing that as well. So we have a few things planned and coming up. Wow. Yeah, that sounds good, and it sounds like you're busy and you're you're getting things getting things done because that's what we must do. We must we must go forth and we must put the hand our hands to the plow and uh, right. be about it, not just talk about it. And with that, it's a good segue to talk about our hope celebration that's coming up during the National Month of Hope in April. Uh, we're having a health fair. And that's going to be here locally in Tallahassee, Florida. For more information, uh, you can contact us at mothersinc at AOL.com. And uh, we're having a hope celebration where we'll have a health fair. We're partnering with Department of Health as well as our local health department. And I'm going to tell you, it is a critical time now, especially with what's happening in the nation and around the world, uh, for us to focus on health. So there will be uh, there will be immunizations for the Hep, hep A virus uh, that is spreading uh, around in this area, and there are also going to be mamma, free mammograms. And I'm telling you, that is very valuable stuff here, mm-hmm. as well as nutrition. And um, we're going to be talking, have someone talking about the coronavirus and the things that we can do to keep ourselves safe in our families and communities. And then we're also going to have a community garden event. We're planning a community garden in the back of our, of our property uh, at the Mothers in Crisis headquarters, and uh, we will be presenting it. With, as a matter of fact, we'll probably have some produce, and that is a, a part of the community where fresh produce 
is is very scarce and it's very impoverished uh, and there's lack of transportation. There's no public transportation that comes out where we're located in Tallahassee. It's on uh, Bluntstown Highway, Highway 20. So we're going to help the community by planting this community garden and giving away fresh vegetables and herbs. So we'll be unveiling our community garden and we're going to have an artist in residency, our very own, one of our Citizens of Hope that you guys have heard from through the Think Hope podcast, Sylvia Coates. She's going to be coming from Ohio to be with us and she's going to paint a mural so we're finally going to get that mural. She's going to paint a mural on the side of the uh, of our building there. And she's also uh, going to be uh, doing some other things in the garden. So we're excited about that. And, of course, last but not least, we have our Hopi Awardees that we'll be giving our Hope Awards out, our Hopi Awards, which stands for Helping Others Practice Enduring Empowerment. We'll have Elisa Finley with us who will be receiving it on behalf of the Botham Gene Foundation. And I believe uh, the Todmans, Dr. Uh, Todman, uh, Marilyn Todman and her husband, Bishop Charles, will be with us from Preach the Word Worldwide Network. Uh, those of our national, some of our national awardees, some of the other national awardees that won't be with us, but we'll be getting the awards to them either in person or via mail is none other than Oprah Winfrey, <laughs> Judge Frank Caprio, Iyanla Van Zant, uh, Robin and Dr. Phil McGraw, Viola Davis, uh, Feed the Hungry, and the whole state, the state of Rhode Island, whose motto is hope. They'll be receiving a Hopi Award, Feed the Hungry, as well as the Botham Jean Foundation. That's our national awardees and this is something that we were waiting to finally present <laughs> so here it is <laughs> now everything charity must begin at home and i know i tr i like to travel the world and sometimes i'm just you know way way away but I know that Mothers in Crisis, we're a grassroots, community-based organization. We started right here in this area. So we have our local awardees, Hopi awardees, that we will be honoring. And none other than Commissioner Curtis Richardson and his dear wife, Judge Nina Richardson. They will be receiving a Hopi Award this year. Uh, Dr. Vera McIntyre of United Families of America very dear friend who's been at it for, for decades, making a difference through her Straight Talk Women's Conferences as well. Uh, Rick Kearney of the, of the Kearney Center, the, the Westgate community and the dwellings, all dealing with the homeless issue. Also, Mrs. Lynn Ann Griffin of Strong and Jones Funeral Home, who's been a great and, and major supporter of Mothers in Crisis these several decades. Uh, the Community Connections Restorative Justice Program that's helping to turn around youth in a positive manner and not putting them in jail, but, but restoring justice and also bringing justice to the victims. Um, Olean McCaskill of Olean's Cafe, and everybody in, in this area knows about Olean. And I saw a picture of her and uh, former 
Vice President Joe Biden. So anytime I, I believe uh, President Obama has been there, anytime anybody comes, they have to eat Olean's. We may have to take you there, Lisa, if you're if you're into soul food, Olean. Yes. <laughs> but one thing about Olean, <laughs> she always will feed. If we have someone that that doesn't have money and they're hungry, we can send them. We can send them to Olean, and she has been there in the community, strategically placed right on FAMU's campus. Uh, for decades now. And then last but not least, Leon County Schools Families in Transition Program, the Fit Shop, where they're actually helping those students in Leon County schools who are homeless, and they have like a whole mission. It's like when I went there, when they were unveiling it, I was so impressed that they had all these things and all these uh, just different resources in this place available for children and families so that they won't, you know, they won't feel less than and they'll be able to take care of themselves, uh, even though they may be homeless or maybe going through hard times. So, so that's what we're doing. We are, we are looking at those who are spreading hope and, and empowering others through, through that on the national level as well as on the local level. And we're going to have a wonderful, wonderful time in April. We are so excited. (laughs) And for more information, you guys can contact us. You can go to makeahopeconnection.com and find out more information as well. Now, in our last few minutes here, we have at least about another five minutes. I want you to share, Elisa, what's on your heart. I remember when I spoke with you, I said to you, you have a platform now. You have a voice that God has elevated you to this place. What do you, what do you want to say? I, I would just ask everyone to, I would say pray for the world um, because Right now, we're going through trying times. We have this presidential election coming up and mm-hmm. just police brutality, gun violence, like all these issues that can take a loved one from your life. And in situations like this, I would say it's not just they're taking someone from you, they're taking a part of you because mm-hmm. I know I will never be the same without my brother I know when he died a part of me died Mm. so with situations like that I feel like you know we need to pray for each other yes well said well said and that's what we'll do that's a that's a wonderful suggestion and sometimes you know we say all we can do is pray but you know what there's power in prayer prayer changes things and it also helps us to get to another level of peace in the midst of all the storms and things that we're going through it brings hope and i want to encourage you elisa i want to encourage you that 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 you are doing something that is going and it is already and it's going to continue to make a tremendous difference. You're doing your brother proud and, and, and he's, I know he is smiling at you and with you 
as you are going forward and your whole family. We pray now for God to strengthen you, for Christ to, to, to strengthen each and every one, each and every person that has been, whose lives have been destroyed and changed and maligned because of this tragic, this tragedy. This whole community, nation, world, anytime we lose one, it affects us all. And we also pray for the world. We pray for the world. We pray that, that, that by the things that, that we are able to do as we're spreading hope and as we're moving forward, that they will make a difference, that lives will be changed and people will have a better existence just because we care and because we decided to reach out and share. And that's one of the things that we're doing through our Hope Not Hate campaign, that we need to spread hope and not hate, because hate kills, but hope heals. And whenever we have hope, we can say, you know what? This happened. Hope is future-oriented. So we know that if we continue to move forward and do what we can, that things are going to get better. And that's what we pray for everyone who is facing tragedy, and especially for this nation and all the, the craziness and everything that is going on, that, that we're not, we don't put our head in the sands like ostriches. We, we see and we know what's going on, but we choose to hope. We choose to hope. I would rather hope than hate and to be dis- discouraged and despair. So that's our prayer. In the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray that that is exactly what we'll do together. Because together we are better. If anyone would like to become a sponsor to uh, help us to promote this hope campaign, we thank God for all of our sponsors who are giving, and uh, if you'd like to become a part of the solution, just go to www.makeahopeconnection.com. And also, don't forget to visit BothamGeneFoundation.org. Find out more information and support this worthwhile cause. Until next time we get together, remember that we can do it. We have the power, we have the resources, and we have the help. Thank you so much, Elisa, for being with us today. Thank you so much. All righty. Remember, as long as there's breath in your body, there is hope. Mm-hmm.